All right, we are in 1 Peter chapter 3, and uh, this is actually our sixth lesson, so it seems like we're on target, but you'll notice that there's more, there's one more than what there are Sundays, so I, I'm praying about the possibility of doubling up next week, but I have to tell you, it's, uh, somebody will accuse me, so I'll just get this right out here in advance and tell you that won't be my reason. Somebody will accuse me of trying to double up on the one that has the, la- the well-known landmine at the end of chapter 3. So those of you who are uh, students of the word or interpreters or whatever, you, you know about that. It's the, the spirits going in, in prison and all that stuff and baptism saving us. So I, I already told you, you know, if the professor in seminary said, if they persecute you in one verse, flee to the next. So we'll find out what we do with this. I'll have to just make a decision somewhere along the way. Okay, Lester has the handouts. I think everybody needs them, so thank you so much, Lester. Appreciate that. We're going to read now from verse number one. I want to take more time. Likewise, wives. So now we've got an interesting subject, huh? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if they, some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. All right, so just remember where we are, our overall idea of Christ as our sufficiency in suffering and since you got a, another road map today and didn't mean to, you can just look it all up right there. First of all, because his salvation sustains us, and we're in that mid and main section of the book, so to speak, where we're talking about his example guides us. Remember the key verse back in chapter 2, verse 21. For this, to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. So we do know there is example for us in the life and ministry, teaching, and, and uh, work of Christ. It's not the only thing there is for us, and I went some lengths last week to point that out. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So up to this point, we've seen the Christian as a citizen. So we've talked about our involvement in civic life in chapter 2, verse 11 down through 17. And then we were looking uh, last time at the Christian as an employee. It says in verse 18, servants be subject to your masters. But we don't so much have that exact application today. I mentioned last time that servants here is not the typical word for slave in the New Testament, doulos. Although technically this person is a slave, he's a domestic. And uh, so somebody who works in the household is sort of what's being referenced here in particular. But the principles that we have, so this is kind of what I meant in my opening prayer. You might have an exact context where we don't have that situation today, although you can find that in the world. 
Um, and you can also find people who hire people to do household work. You can certainly still find that even in American culture today. In fact, um, they go around with these little signs. I've seen them. It's almost tempting to try them once. But, so you can have shack shine come. But they won't be domestics in quite that same sense. But you know, you, this is the idea. Today, though, um, we kind of enter into a different situation in life. But the more you think about this, the more you can certainly understand how Peter would include this against the backdrop of people who might, well, we could maybe say in loose terms suffer, or we might say in literal terms it could happen on occasion. And uh, certainly being mistreated is a distinct possibility. And so who is our example in that? Who is our sufficiency in that? It's Christ, and that's really what we're talking about. So take a look at the second statement. Peter applies this next to the Christian as a spouse, so we certainly see verse number one, it says, likewise wives, and then in verse seven, likewise husbands. Now, You can note, again, the emphasis on submission. I've said that's the key thing that we're drawing or that Peter keeps alluding to in Christ's example. And we saw it in the two sections before, 13 and 18 of chapter 2. We see it in verse 1 here. We see it in verse 5 here. By the way, this is all the same word. Sometimes he varies the the grammar of it. It might be a participle. It might be an an imperative. But it's always from hupotasso which means to arrange yourself under, to submit. Uh, And also, you have it um, at the end of verse 3, but it doesn't refer to our, or um, chapter 3, it doesn't refer to a context like ours, so I haven't included this, but it says, in reference to Christ, angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So, Peter likes this word, is kind of the point that we're seeing. Then I gave you an additional one. It's also not in this section. It's in the last division that we have, but it's the same word if you want to look at that for a moment. And he likes likewise, too, as you've noticed. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then he goes on about humility. So um, this is kind of a favorite concept and word that is in the book, and it's worth noticing that because you kind of get some further insight by doing that. Now, I I sort of... uh, Tried to bait the hook a little bit there. Um, You start talking about needing to be in submission to the authorities. And I said that gets interesting, right? And we have lots of different thoughts and opinions about some of those things. And uh, anyway, you better be good. I have so many things come into my mind that I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, um, so we have a lot of opportunity for that to be tough in our day. And now, if you get into the one that we're talking about now, the Christian as a spouse, that one also. So I want to handle this essentially as what I was saying, the same way I did um, before. I want to talk about, first of all, what it doesn't mean. And if you do have your paper now and you look at this, I think we have six or seven things to talk about that it doesn't mean before we get to the two that I wanted to emphasize on the positive note. And kind of a shame, isn't it, that it seems like we have to sort of shoot down the wrong ideas and spend so much time with that. But hopefully, it, this is helpful to us because we don't want to labor under a, an inappropriate idea of what the Bible is telling us or in what the passage is teaching. So let's look, first of all, um, to 
you click on the finger here, it's a good thing it's not a trigger. Um, what it doesn't mean, first thing I would like to point out, and I don't say that my list is exhaustive. First thing, though, that I would like to point out is, is it doesn't mean that wives are obligated to obey men universally. And I don't know if anybody has that idea. It wouldn't surprise me. But there are people who go around and want to stretch the context and the particular precepts that the Bible gives and sort of layer that over all relationships in life. And it's just not the case, folks. Who knows the parallel passage in Paul? It's in Ephesians. Do you know the chapter? Five. And it's also wives and husbands. And, in fact, the very same expression is used in Ephesians 5.22. You see this phrase that I pointed out to you in verse 1, and it's repeated in verse 5. So what does it specifically say to the wife? Be subject to who? To whom? Your own husband. And in verse 5, you have that again. Um, it says here, for this is how the holy women, by submitting themselves to their own husbands. So let's be careful here, folks. Let's don't layer more on this than what's here. Ephesians 5.22 also says the same thing with that phrase, to their husbands. Now, this doesn't mean also, hopefully not to get you confused, that you might not have context, women might have contexts in life, for example, where because of a different relationship or a different situation, you are obligated to give some, some degree of submission to the man. You might have a man who's your boss. Um, I'm sure that happens a lot in today's world. And there can be all sorts of other types of things where other factors come into play. But here's the point. You, me, who are husbands, we don't get around to go around telling other women what to do. That's just not what this is saying. And if you have a problem or an issue there, then generally speaking, I, I'm not trying to say what you do in every instance, but generally speaking, you need to go to the husband because that's where, that's where the, the, the right authority is and hopefully things go from there. But, but you don't get to assume in a church context that just because you're a man, you get to go around and order all the other women around. All right, hopefully I've scored some good points with the ladies so far. I'll keep working on this because it's always a good idea. All right. Secondly, though, let's look at this. It doesn't mean either that wives are inferior. And where do some people get this? They get the idea, I think, from verse number 7, but somehow we must not be reading verse 7 carefully enough. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way or according to knowledge, as it says more literally, and I think the King James renders it that way, showing honor to women as the weaker vessel. All right, two things are true right away if you read the English carefully, and the English does well represent what's written here. Weaker is a comparative. It doesn't say that the wife is the weak vessel. Right? says she's the weaker vessel. I take that to mean we're all weak. Anybody going to argue with that? I mean, maybe in different ways, but there's nobody that's got the whole thing together, so it's a comparative. There's a weakness that we all have that's sort of 
endemic because it's Adamic. So the weaker vessel. So there is a reference to a comparative where you, it brings up a physical aspect of difference. But let's get the second thing real quick. It also says the weaker vessel. So you don't get to say that the wife is a vessel and the husband isn't. <laughs> right? I mean, let's just be fair in what it says. We're, we're both vessels, and this is an interesting word that's translated here. It's kind of a, a general term that you have to kind of grab the context to figure out what's going on here. Vessel, it might literally be a vessel, like a jar of clay in, in the ancient world, a, a pottery vase or something like that. I suppose you could have some that are stronger than others, depending on the fire treatment and so forth that they got. I'm not an expert in that, but um, it could be used of that. It could also be used of tools. You can use this word to refer to a tool. And you can get some useful illustrations out of this because um, if you wear glasses, what happens if you uh, haven't paid much attention, which most of us don't anyway, and uh, that little screw right there gets loose. And then all of a sudden you're going along and probably doing something important. It always happens when you least can deal with it, right? That screw pops out, that frame separates and boing, you know, your, your lens just flew. And now you're at work or some other place and you, know, you really look weird, plus you can't see well. In that instance, you need a very specific screwdriver. Hopefully you haven't lost the screw. I have been not photographed, but it's true. I have been on my knees looking for those things. And you, you, know, you can actually, if you don't have a tool set that has it, probably most don't. You can actually go buy that specific screwdriver that'll deal with that. You can also buy replacement screws. I'm just telling you now, so you can, if you didn't know this, but they all look alike. I mean, you can, you have to really say, oh, I think it's that one or whatever. Now, in the, in the instant, and here's the point, in the instant that you need to fix those glasses, that screwdriver is about like that, but it's worth a lot. Right? It's designed for a specific context, but right now, you don't need some huge thing that long, of which I have two, where you're going to pry, or you've got some huge screw, and you need to really know that. I mean, that might be stronger, but it's not more helpful to you in that particular case. Can you imagine trying to fix your glasses with one of those? So, yeah, we have a comparative. Now, I don't want to say too much about this, but uh, if I, I think if I hear Leah Thomas again, I might be sick. You know what I'm talking about? Well, for those of you that don't, I mean, it's like they run these stories into the ground. And, I, you know, okay, tell me one time, and then if there's an update, tell me again. But don't, don't plaster me with it. It's like, that, it's like they did with that girl that that Gabby or whatever her name was. It's like every time you open the news, you've got a new update on her, and she's America's daughter and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, really? Anyway, uh, but you know what? If there's not a difference physically, how come now they come out and say, well, 
if you're going to compete in these events, you have to have had hormone suppression treatment for so long. Did you ever think about that? How come Leah, whatever her name was before when she was he, how come she competed for the first two or three years in the male and didn't do diddly squat and then decided that she would identify as a female and now she breaks all the records and has all the other competitors disadvantaged. Sorry I colored that, but it's true. But there is a difference and it just seems like what does the Bible say? Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. Man, have we ever arrived at that point. So you have a difference, but it, the difference doesn't outweigh the spiritual, spiritual equality. The one plays against the other, and you can't get the one without the other, because what does he say? Since they are heirs together, or heirs with you, of the grace of life. What's the grace of life? Everybody here today saved, born again? You've been made an heir of the grace of life. Your spouse, girlfriend, or the nearest female sitting by you, if she has the same salvation, you know, it's not that you, it's not that you have a seat in first class and she has a seat in coach. Right? So there's a spiritual equality, and just because there are physical differences doesn't change that, it doesn't avoid that, it doesn't outweigh that. And because there are differences in roles that the Bible talks about, doesn't mean there's a difference in worth. And where I see the word worth, look at verse 7 again. It says, giving honor or showing honor. Um, you could actually render that appointing value or worth. This word means honor, worth, or value. We go back to the screwdriver illustration again. I mean, in the moment that, that, that that's designed for, it's extremely valuable. And when you think about all the things that God has given to women and designed women for in the home and in whatever contexts um, we can think of, I can't begin to tell you how extremely valuable women are. I mean, men can't do some of those things and really weren't qualified to do those things or designed to do those things is I think you know most fathers and, and people who are parents here today can really if you're honest you can really identify with this because I'd watch my wife do certain things as our children were being raised and I think oh wow well, I'm, I'm glad she's the one spending time with them all day long while I'm off at work but I noticed that she probably thought the same thing about what I did if I, I went off to deal with the parishioners and she stayed home to deal with the children and I could handle that better than I could the other, to be truthful. And I still to this very day, I, I notice how when they want to talk, she listens. After I hear about two minutes, I'm not, my patience isn't exhausted, but it's beginning to be drawn down. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not as good at talking forever and ever and ever. And, uh, our daughter, is, I'll tell one on her, uh, she got her tax forms, so she's doing her taxes. And, and I, you know, I look at it, I'm just glad I have the time now. I'm glad I wasn't sitting in my office 
as for the last 30-some years and trying to prepare a sermon and getting text after text after text. Do you have to count interest if it's below a certain level? And do you have to, you know, and I've got all these questions on taxes. I just put down what I'm doing and figure that that's my job. I can help. And, but you get my point if you're honest in this. So, okay, we better move on before I get in trouble here. All right, so let's look at the third one, that lifestyle trumps witness. Now, I put this in because uh, many of us grew up and have used the King James Version for years and years and years. Some of you still do. No problem with that at all. But you have a little translation difficulty in these verses. And the ESV cleans it up some so that it's a little bit more accurate and doesn't, it doesn't leave a misimpression. That's really what we want to deal with here. Likewise, wives, it says again in verse 1, be subject to your own husbands so that even if they do not obey, they have the definite article, the word. So the reference here is going to be to the word of God or to the gospel or, you know, you can be more specific and say it's not just the Bible, it's the gospel. But anyway, it's to the revelation God has given. Let's be general in that sense. Then it goes on to say that they may without a word, no article, be, uh, by the conduct of their wives be gained or be won. But the King James says without the word. So I don't know why they do that, because you can, it doesn't matter what manuscript you look at, it's the way it is. It's, there's, there's just no, there is an article the first time, there is not an article the second time, and I'm sure that's with a purpose. Because what the real reference here is to, it's, it's not trying to suggest that you can win them without a witness. Somebody has to give the word of God. Right? Boy, everybody's quiet this morning. Anyway, um... What does Romans 1.16 say? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. You can't friendship someone into the kingdom of God without them knowing the gospel. People do have to know the gospel, so it may come through your witness, it may come through someone else's witness, you may be able to defer in speaking the words, the word, because you know someone else already has, like, Maybe your husband agreed he's not saved and he agreed to go to church today and, man, the pastor just reared back and had a sermon that just really communicated the gospel. Well, you probably don't need to go home and go through that again. You might have a context where you could ask your husband something like, what would you think about that today or something like that. But this is what really he's getting at. Um, he's talking about the importance of conduct. He's talking about the importance of testimony and so we don't want to get that misimpression that, that potentially you could get by, by that particular rendering in the King James. Um, doesn't mean either that wives shouldn't dress nicely. Take a look at what it says. Do not let your adorning be external. Well, that should be our first clue. In other words, you do have to adorn yourself externally. Um, and it's important maybe to point out, and you noticed it didn't just say dress. It says adorning, which is um, cosmeo in Greek. Does that sound like any English word? Think L'Oreal or Estee Lauder. Or, and, and those people sell you cosmetics, which are designed, and these people come on there and tell you, isn't my skin shinier? And I'm thinking, do I really want my skin to be shiny? I don't know. I'm not worried about it, but... Um, I, I don't know all that stuff. My sister did that kind of work, and I just asked her a question if I had it. But 
cosmeo in Greek is, is to adorn. Now, you also know this if you've listened in any number of other sermons. The cosmos is the world. So you take that literal idea of that which has been ordered or arranged by God. Of course, calamity and disorder has come into it because of sin, but you take the organized aspect, and one definition for the world is man and his organized rebellion against God. So cosmeo has that flavor, but it also has the flavor of, or the, the, the secondary uh, use of ordering or arranging yourself in a way that is pleasing. And that's what we've got here, and that's where English cosmetics sort of comes into the idea. Now, he gives three examples of this. He talks about braiding of hair, and I almost said blading because I was thinking of the King James word plating. Plating is the same thing as braiding, which ESV uses here. Braiding is what we're talking about. Uh, putting on of gold jewelry. So jewelry would be a second area. Hair, jewelry, and then or the clothing you wear. And so maybe we read between the lines and get the idea that this is finer clothing. But you know, folks, there is absolutely nothing wrong. The problem is not that doing your hair or having some jewelry. Now, it is costly jewelry that's in the context here because he says gold. So you have to sort of draw the line somewhere. Maybe you don't have money for that kind of thing. Or nice clothes, per se. In fact, as I mentioned here in the, uh, the outline, Truthfully, the other side of this is not exactly a positive either. Slovenliness, whether it's the husband or the wife, is not exactly a big selling point. A lot you could say there. But the important issue is that the emphasis is on the external versus the internal an attitude will win over appearance. Ultimately, attitude will win over appearance. Let's look at some verses. Let's look at Paul's rendition to this. Likewise, also that women should adorn, it's the same word, themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, self-control, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Neither Peter nor Paul is saying that these things are wrong in and of themselves. It's the overemphasis on these things and the under-emphasis on the hidden man of the heart and spending all your time developing an expensive, gaudy-type presentation of yourself physically while not spending time developing yourself spiritually. And to be honest, folks, that's, that's just as true of men as it is women. But he's talking to women in this context, so he says, but with prop, what is proper for women who profess godliness... Peter talks about godliness, too, because he brings up Sarah. And he says, with good works. And I thought you might smile at this one. Um, the writer to the Proverbs has a rather uh, memorable way of putting the same principle. Like a jewel, a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. And again, I think you could reverse that and find that to be true. Um, 
I was interested in a story that I read some time back, and it was about this young girl who was in an orphanage. And her particular lot was, she was uh, on the homely side, shall we say, and she also had some awkward mannerisms. So she wasn't particularly popular with the other children, and uh, even some of the workers there didn't really care for her. And so you know what happens in those contexts. I mean, both kids and even some of the workers were just as glad to try to find a way to do something to ditch her off and get rid of her to another institution, another orphanage. And so the opportunity came one day when some girl ratted on her. And she ratted on her because she said she saw her deliver an unauthorized, illicit note to someone outside the orphanage. She came back and reported, she said, I saw her put a note in a tree. So right away the superintendent and someone else hurried out to find the note so they would have the proof that they could get rid of this girl. The superintendent looked at the note, he read it, and then he just looked at the aide that was with him. The note said this, to whoever finds this, I love you. And I'm just saying that ultimately you can have all the looks, all the physique, all those things, and those have certain selling points, but if you've got somebody in here who's a heel, the other wears out real fast. And we need to remember that whether we're men or women, so let's, we have to keep moving here. Um, doesn't mean that wives should disregard conscience. This, I think, is sort of a no-brainer, although who knows? You should maybe say about this. Um, we did it in the context of when you're called upon to obey the authorities. doesn't mean you compromise your conscience. And here, part of submission is to the husband's role in leadership. Ephesians 5.22, I referred to that verse a moment ago. But now 1 Peter, or Ephesians 5.22 comes into play. I should have just had it in the, on the thing, but I'll read it for you for a different reason. Because it uses a phrase that Peter uses earlier, but he, he uses it on this. Therefore, Paul says in Ephesians um, 5.22, sorry, I need to get over there. Wives, submit to your own husband. So there's that phrase again. But it says, as to the Lord. So if you're doing something for the Lord's sake, as to the Lord, it doesn't make any sense to think that you obey or disobey to obey. So a, a wife may find herself occasionally, this is a really tough one. What if you find yourself in a situation where your husband wants you to violate your conscience? And that's really tough. But this is not telling you you have to do that. And I'm not telling you you have to do that. It may require a tremendous amount of wisdom perhaps some counsel, but there's all sorts of kinds of shady things that go on. And uh, <clears throat> I'll tell you a quick little story. We, had a, we don't do this that much, although our son gave us uh, Walmart Plus. So I guess one of the features on that is that you can you know, have them, maybe you can do this anyway, you can have them have all your groceries or whatever. And the thing I don't like about that is they're picking my stuff for me, and I don't like that. I guess I'm picky. 
But uh, anyway, so they bring it out. You tell them, I'll be there between 7 and 8 or whatever, and they bring out your groceries. And so we went the other night, and they brought them out, about three of them to bring five bags. <laughs> and uh, we got home, got to look at these things. Well, they had told us there were some items that they were going to have to replace because they didn't have the exact thing we wanted. So they had one thing in there that we just eliminated because we said, no, if you don't have the packaging and the quantity that we want in this particular aspect, we, we don't want the other thing. Because these other ones are individually wrapped, we wanted that. Well, they put one in there, didn't charge us for it. But on the other hand, we had some grapes and they gave us a half a bag and charged us, you know, they, they're not going out their way in every one of them, but you're generally expected to get so much quantity and so my wife sends this email, and she says, first of all, we need to pay you for the tasty cakes. And she said, secondly, though, you need to charge me half of what we paid for the grapes, because you only had half in the bag. And there's like two or three emails that go back and forth. And finally, a guy sends me an email. It comes in the morning, because it comes to my email. And I'm looking at this thing first thing in the morning, and he says, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting involved now in taking ownership of this and, and so forth. And he says, um, you know, you, the Tasty Cakes were originally canceled. We didn't have it, so this was given to you or something. Well, I'm not going to keep fighting him. If you don't want to take my money, it's fine with me. And, they, and then he just said, uh, in regards to the grapes, uh, we'll just credit you for that. Well, my wife said, I kept trying to tell him because I didn't want to feel guilty. And that's, uh, that's the thing, see, sometimes it's awfully easy for someone to ask you to do something shady. This isn't telling you that. So let's be careful there. Um, F, is that the last one? I hope so. We're not going to have any time for the... Uh, anyway, F, that wives bear the whole burden of a successful marriage. Uh, okay, so the husband has the lead role. That just means you have more responsibility. And I have felt the discomfort of that on occasion. So you have to look at this whole thing in context because you can say, hmm, I'm the boss. You know, there's a lot that comes with that. And I, you know, there haven't been that many times because our manner is to talk things over until we're, I'm sure she's comfortable and whatnot. But there do come times where you can talk forever and you just don't get to the place where there's a whole big strong argument one way or another, but yet a decision has to be made. Well, guess who gets to do that? Have you ever had your wife tell you, honey, it doesn't matter to me. You make the call. <laughs> That's some responsibility to bear, especially if you're going to spend $100,000. Especially if you're going to make a decision on a home or something of that nature. Now, the, the 100000 was not for the home, that's a tree house. <laughs> you have to change the figures a little bit for today. But, and somebody says, well, he devotes six verses to wives and only one to husbands. That's because the husbands are such jerks that they need to spend six verses telling the wives how to deal with these guys, not because the wives are problematic. So... Let's try to get this thing in, going the right way as best we can. What it does mean, um, it is very important to see this in the context of what Peter is trying to say. 
and there are, there's two things that are with respect to the husband and then a broader thing that I didn't put here I'll mention. First of all, the context is either the salvation of the husband, he's disobedient to the word, he's, he's unpersuaded at this point. That if any obey not the word, it's, it's that stronger word that means unpersuaded. So it's either salvation or else it's spiritual growth. As it says down here in verse 7, they're heirs together of the grace of life. Well, we not only have eternal life as a part of the grace of life, but we have grace every day as we live the Christian life. At least I hope you have grace every day as you live the Christian life. So it could be, you know, you do have these situations where you have the Aquila-Priscilla deal. Do you know what I mean by that? That's not exclusively true, but it's sort of an inference that you get from when you read about Aquila and Priscilla. Most of the time, Priscilla is mentioned first. Wonder why that is. Well, maybe she, maybe she was, maybe he was a little slower. Maybe she was smarter. Maybe she was more competent in certain areas. That does happen, you know. And so, Spiritual growth on the part of the husband. The wife may have been in grace longer for a good while than the husband, and he's got some catching up to do. These, these commands are given in that context. Um, it is important to clarify you do witness, you don't nag. And I wish I had time for this, but I, I don't especially, so somebody again will accuse me. But <laughs> Verse 6, I have the verses here for you. What about... Sarah. It's interesting that Sarah is used as an example, and I like something that A.T. Robertson says about this. He mentions that we don't seem to have societies of Sarah. Must have been that term was used some way back. I, I've not heard that before, but I thought I caught his point. It's kind of interesting. Sarah had a momentary lapse or two, and you don't, you don't take the momentary lapse and use that to undercut what Sarah is really known for. So what he's saying in verse 6 is, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him, she used to do this, is the point. It uses the imperfect tense with the idea of, this was her custom. She used to do this, calling him Lord. And then he makes this statement, you're her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What's that mean? Well, we don't have time to talk about it so much, but... She did have some momentary lapses in both aspects of this. Maybe a little nagging in respect to Hagar. Certainly a, a, a lapse of faith or fear governing her response when in verse eight, chapter 18, verse 15, Sarah denied it and said, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And God said, no, but you did. But you don't use those things to take away from the fact that Sarah's direction of life was one of faith. You, what you have here is a loose quotation of Proverbs 3.25 where Peter say, where it says, do not be afraid of sudden terror or of ruin, the ruin of the wicked when it comes. And here's the point really, he's loosely quoting verse 25, but the point is in verse 26, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. That's the whole thing that Sarah's known for right there. The Lord will be your confidence. And so someone, I think, astutely points out, you know, we have a way of referring to Abraham as the father of the faithful, but we don't so much talk about Sarah as being the mother of the obedient. 
but that's Peter's example. And lastly, it doesn't mean, or it means that prayer is really important because if you don't heed what he's saying here, I said three things a moment ago, the goal to keep in view, the spiritual growth or salvation of the husband, and the other is the smooth functioning of the home plays into this right here. If you don't have a smoothly functioning home because husband and wife are rightly related, understand their roles, and are seeking to obey God's wisdom in this respect, you have disharmony. With disharmony comes dysfunction. And who pays the price for that? Everybody in the home, plus a bunch of other people. And your prayers are hindered because you're not right with God. And if your prayers are hindered, folks, I'm just going to tell you right now, you have just had one of the most important tools of living for God taken away. We'll end on that note. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless us today as we ready ourselves for the service to follow. I pray that you'll bless Pastor Andrew as he preaches to us. I pray that our hearts will be open. I pray that Jesus will be made large in our lives today. We pray it in his name. Amen.